Welcome to the What's Your Revolution show, a show for men and the people who love them, where we discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. What's good, revolutionaries? How are you? I've been asking that question for weeks. How are you? We are mired in COVID, but I'm not going to talk about the tolls and challenges that it, it brings to us. With everything in life, the challenges, it brings opportunity. And so what I want to know from you revolutionaries is what opportunities are you creating for yourself because of COVID? We have to think as people. We have to be entrepreneurial in our thoughts, in our actions, because this is what it is doing for us. It is presenting opportunities for us to innovate our lives. And so I'm asking you the most thought-provoking question of your life, revolutionaries. And you know what it is. I don't even need to say it. You know. Hopefully you have been trying to find out what the answer is to that question. Because COVID, like I said, presents you a, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to innovate and transform your life. And as I've always said to you, you can come to me. If you need help, if you need some thought partnership around how to answer the question, what's a revolution, I am here for you. You can contact me on Twitter, Instagram, on my personal Facebook page at Charles Corporu, and all other social media at What's Your Revolution. I look forward to hearing from you and wish you well as you innovate and find the best version of yourself. I started this show three years ago for men like myself to find a pathway to being the best version of themselves. I wanted to hear stories of men who decided, some by choice, others by fate, that they wanted something better for themselves. That as men, they could no longer be the worst version of themselves. My guests over the last three years have imparted hours of wisdoms and roadmaps to revolution. They have been vulnerable and succinct in their action. They have set out to do the work on themselves, and in doing so, they have become role models for those of us coming behind them. Yet, there are those among us that stand out above all others. They are the ones who see their struggles, their challenges, and their revolution as an opportunity to inspire hope in those of us who may see darkness instead of light, and for those of us who see sadness instead of joy, or for those of us who only see brick walls, they provide us with the sledgehammer. Each year, this acclaimed show recognizes a person who each day wakes up to transform the world. They represent the ideals and values of this show. They are the revolutionary of the year. It is with great pleasure that I welcome to the show the 2020 Revolutionary of the Year recipient, Courtney Brame, CEO and founder of Something Positive for Positive People. Courtney, what's up, brother? How are you? Man, I will say, like, my adrenaline, I feel like I'm about to run through a tunnel and start playing football or something. <laughs> that was a great intro. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. No doubt, brother. You know, it's interesting. I am super excited. And congratulations to you, because as many people as we think about for the show to be the revolutionary of the year, you know, we go through, I put out nominations, I ask friends, like, who are they seeing in the world that are actually doing transformative work? And when I heard you on Let's Talk Bruh about a month ago, I was like, this is my guy. This is my person right here. This is the person that needs to be the revolutionary of the year because you are doing such an amazing thing 
in the world, Courtney, that everybody needs to hear because you're touching the lives of people, not just men, you're touching the lives of people. So I am honored. I am grateful. I am excited to have you on the show. And I know as we talked in the green room and we've been talking over the last couple of weeks, you know, I usually start the show with my signature question, but I'm not going to do that today. We're going to get to that question. I want to know, and I want everybody to hear, who is Courtney Brame? All right. So I was thinking about this since you told me you were going to ask me this, right? <laughs> and there's a multidimensionality to me. It depends on the time, place, who's asking, what's going on, what I can do for that person in the moment. But I'll say that more than anything, like I probably would consider myself to just be this collection of values. You know, you, you see me, I'm a black man. I got a beard. I'm 31. I look like I work out. All of these assumptions on the five sensory level, you know, but more than that, I'm someone who really identifies with the values that I've chosen for myself. And those values are evolution, peace, and liberation, right? So these three values started for me. They actually started out as growth, understanding, and freedom. And then as I grew, so did my values. So um, those those are three things where I choose to make all of my decisions from. Do these things align with the freedom of myself and others? Is it something that creates and fosters an environment for evolution? Is this something that drives peace or does it drive chaos? And so given that I value myself in these ways, I hope that everything that I touch or that extends from me at least invokes that from other people. And the more that I live by these values, I kind of come into a space where I really probably need to expand on those values some because I'm also learning that I value transparency, I value consistency, and I value connection. So when, you know, right here in this moment, I feel most compelled to say that this is who I am. I'm a person who chooses who they want to be in line with things that can't be seen, but that can be experienced. You know, it, it is immersive to us, right, to think about that, that you said, I am my values. <laughs> How many people, you know, Courtney, if you think about that, when you ask people, like, who are you, they, they start off with their values, right? Think about that. When, when was the last time you asked that question and somebody started off with their values? I am transparent. I am deliberate, right? Deliberation. When was the last time that, that happened mm. to you? Yeah, it hasn't. I've, I've heard a lot of people say that they don't like that question. And I think that it's because it's such a tricky one to answer. And if you, you know, think too long about it, you'll just be like, you know, what, it's too much to explain or it's too complicated. Or maybe, you know, we just don't know. Because for a long time, I didn't know who I was. I was whoever, you know, I needed to be in that moment. So depending on, like, I use this as an example when I explain this to people, but like the label of black. So if I'm saying I'm black to another black person, depending on where they come from, what their socioeconomic status is, their experiences of being their age, that black is going to look different than what my black is. Explaining it to a white person, they have whatever perception they have about the black people they're around, the ones that they work with, the ones that they see in media. But like I, I use black, black is a different experience for a lot of us because it comes with so many different dimensions to it. So I can't say, you know, I, this is something that I am with the label. 
and expect other people to really understand or get it without having to dive way deeper into it, just using stories or metaphors to get them on the same page of what I mean by that. So when I say words that have a definition that you can look up, you know, I think that that more so puts people in the ballpark at the very least of understanding, you know, who we are, because it's tricky. Like if you don't, if you don't know who you are, then who you are is going to kind of be labeled onto you by the people around you in your society. And you'll be judged by the company you keep. So yeah, it's, it's tough to answer, but once you get it, you got it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I love that you talk about that. You even talked about one of your values is evolution. And it made me, it begs for me to ask this question of you, right? You're 31, you know, you're at the one third of life, right? So to be so introspective at such a, you know, and I'm going to say this at such a young age, right? One of us on this call will be 49 next week. <laughs> and, you know, to, to be so introspective at such a young age, you weren't always this person, right? You weren't always. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you talk about these values. What was it like, Courtney, for you growing up as you began to think about who you were going to become. What were some of the challenges that you faced as a young man that leads you to this place of evolution and introspection now? So when I was young, I think that, uh, and this was something that we kind of touched on before we started recording, there weren't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of room for emotions, really. Everything was very strategic, thought out. And I'm, I think that the, main focal point of my family was to get me to extend a little bit further out than they did. So it was primarily survival. I remember growing up, it was go to school, don't get nobody pregnant <laughs> and stay in school, stay in school. So that was kind of the overall message in my head, stay in school, stay in school. And then I played sports. That was something that helped me with you know, wanting to be motivated to stay in school. I went to college, got my degree, got in the workforce. And I think that that there was sort of this phasing out of that messaging because everyone said stay in school. And, you know, I'm envisioning school is supposed to have created these opportunities for me, workplace or to be successful, whatever that means. Right. And that's a whole different conversation. But Success, I guess, was supposed to have been finishing school, but there was only that messaging of go to school driven in my head for so long that it was like, all right, now what? what's success now? From my family, it was go to school. And from the coaches, it was win games. It was show up to practice, be consistent, do these things. And so after college, I think there was this period where I was just in kind of like a zombie mode space. And there was a lot of stuff that just kind of happened that I just kind of thought this is just how life is up until we get to the point where I start questioning things. So around this point, I would say I finished school, I was 22-ish, and around 25, 26 years old, I started journaling. And at this phase in my life of beginning to journal, I also became exposed to a lot of self-help podcasts, books, audiobooks, and I began really reading. And when I began to do that, it took me to a place from my values being finished school, this being an external metric of success and growth. And, you know, this is what you just got to do 
to hearing from people who not only don't look like me, don't come from the same cultural background, don't talk like me, hearing their experiences. And it's like, wow, wow, I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know that these were possibilities. And so after seeing, okay, well, there's more to life than just pursuing things. It's more so like self-awareness was a big piece of it. So once I began to look at, examine myself and start asking questions about my beliefs and my behaviors, I started coming up with far more questions way faster than I could get answers. Right. And so having like a natural curiosity and interest in looking for the answers, like I found myself addicted to this process of hearing from other people and learning about all of the possibilities that are out there and like this universal messaging of you have really got to be able to prioritize yourself. And I think that was probably around the time that I woke up from my zombie mode, I call it, or being on the hamster wheel, as some people would call it, of just this monotony. You know, I've just been sleepwalking throughout life up until a point where I started to question things. And then even growing up, I wasn't allowed to question things. It was just this way it is. Don't talk back. Don't ask questions. And now here I am in adulthood, you know, and I don't have any sort of a topic. I got to figure this stuff out on my own. So in using the resources that I had around me, that redirected my vision to not just be about what's happening out there, but to notice that there was actually an in here to focus on and then being able to go from there. Right, right. Courtney, all of these things, you know, build a foundation for you, right? And so I'm, I'm sure that my listeners are allowed, like, yeah, this guy's good, right? This guy's good. But is he is he the revolutionary of the year? Really? Like, he, he's good, right? But why is he the revolutionary of the year? So it brings me to answer this question because everything that you've talked about prepares you for your revolution. It prepares you for, you know, what you're doing so eloquently and so well in the world. So, Courtney, what's your revolution? So I even looked up this word before we got on here so I can make sure that I answered it correctly. <laughs> I would say uh, my revolution is actually my healing. So I've been blessed to be 31 years old, especially as a black man in America. And I think that it's important that we acknowledge the people who didn't get to make it to age 31 because this is a privilege. I recognize this to be a privilege and I've recently had the thought and understanding that the generations before me, they really prioritize like survival, just just keep get to the next level, get to the next stage, like stay here, be able to grow up, get older, right? And it was after a conversation that I had actually with my little brother who's 19, uh, it was Mother's Day, actually, I was on my mom's house and I was talking to my little brother and some of the conversations that we were having, it was just about like yoga and and being in college and I was like, wow, I'm really having this conversation. And it, it made me recognize that we're at a level beyond just survival and prioritizing survival, right? And that it's important for us to indulge in the luxury that comes with our privilege of being able to heal. And so for me, I look at my privilege of healing to have come from something that created this or brought awareness to let me say that this need for healing which was my herpes diagnosis so i've been living with genital hsv2 for this will be my eighth year and for the first five years of it 
you know, there was not really much going on. It was just me. I had finished school. I was just going to work every day and taking care of my body. I mean, that's really all you can do, managing my stress, doing my reading, podcasting, or listening to podcasts. And it was in my fifth year of my diagnosis that I came across additional resources. So just communities, websites for people who are living with herpes and support resources. And when I got there, I was like, hell yeah, this was, you know, this is living with a lifelong STD that's incurable that nobody wants. (laughs) This was like the holy grail for me. So being there and being in that space, I came across people who were expressing that they wanted to commit suicide. And I was like, huh, that's weird. I didn't really think anything of it. It happened a few times where people would just like publicly say their lives are over and they want to kill themselves. And to me, I'm like, I don't know why. I'm having the time of my life here now on these dating sites and just being around these people and that not being an issue anymore. And so it took for me, I connected with a young lady, black lady actually, and she had a, she was in a relationship already. She was just seeking friendship so that she could prepare herself and her boyfriend for if he were ever to have tested positive because she was in a relationship. She told him that she had just went to the doctor and just, they tested her. So normally they don't test you for herpes unless you ask specifically, but this doctor went on ahead and did the test and then told her and she was pissed rightfully so because she didn't ask for it. Right. So that's sort of a consent violation, which is another conversation. So she brings this to her boyfriend and he's just like, Oh, okay. Well, if you got it, I got it. We'll cross that bridge whenever we get to it. And she was very obsessive and just like knowing what to expect and being able to do something about it. So she and I kind of developed a friendship over a few weeks. And then one day she just opened up to me and she was like, you know, I really wanted to kill myself. And when she said that, I was like, whoa, okay. So like all these white people on here doing that. Like, I, I feel like that's a thing maybe because, but like black people don't do that. Right. That's that was just kind of but we what do. my thought process we do. was at yeah. this time. Right. Right. And like this is again, you know, just going through these phases of my own growth and development. Like I was I didn't know that. Like this was just something that wasn't really talked about either. And even like in the uh, I think that there's also there is also like a statement with mental health in the black community. So when she said this, I was like, hold the phone. You know, like when music's playing and somebody does or says something stupid and it goes and the music cuts <laughs> off. That's what happened to me, because here we have a black woman who's in the relationship. And the primary concern for people after their diagnosis is. I'm not going to be able to be with someone. I'm going to have rejection. No one's going to want to be with me. And this is someone who was in their career. She was in uh, her passion. She was in a relationship. And she said she was happy in, but she said, and when she said it, I was just like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like, because I, it, it really made me start to think because I know people who have died by suicide throughout my life. And it just made me wonder what if this was the thing that, was bothering them, that they felt so ashamed of being able to talk about, or that they didn't have an outlet, or they didn't have community, or they didn't find one, or they were just so ashamed to even reach out for help in regards to struggling with this. So it it came to a point where I wanted to do something. So me just commenting or replying to these people saying, hey, it's not, it's going to be okay. It's not that bad. Like, here's my experience. That doesn't work when you're talking to a as a male, for me, you know, 20, whatever, at that point in time, talking to an older white man or a 20-something-year-old white woman or an older black man, because our experiences are just so 
different yes, overall. They are, right? And so I went to one of the groups that I was a part of and I just asked, would anyone be open to sharing their experience and let me record it and send it to these people? So it started that way. My first guest was an older white woman. She was married. She did everything right. She was monogamous. Her husband just shaking on her and gave her everything. So now when she goes out to the world and has to disclose to people, there's this automatic by default response to according to stigma that she got around, she cheated, that she's dirty, that she's irresponsible with partners. And that wasn't the case. So after sharing that with um, the communities and more and more people wanted to get involved, there were additional stories. There was someone who had gotten date raped. She was drugged and raped and then they got herpes. I'm sorry, not she, but they, they identify as non-binary. They are non-binary. Even then, like this sort of sent me down this path of having conversations with people. I would never had conversations with. So all of these people were willing to put on display their experiences and their healing processes. And after recording enough, it became very tedious for me to send individual episodes to people who expressed suicide ideation. And so if I wanted to reach more people, I had to do something different. So I started to upload the audio to YouTube. And then it, after one of the things, one of the episodes got up to like 300 views, which to me was a lot in a very short period of time. I was like, okay, I probably need to take this a little bit more seriously. So I got a podcast hosting site, dropped that, whatever, $80 it was for the year. I invested in a microphone, used my phone. I met up with people and we just hit record and we have a conversation starting with, you know, when were you diagnosed? What were you going through? What was the process like? What was happening around that? And then we move forward from there throughout. And you just won from these people, taking it back to our values. When I'm in person with them, you feel their energy. You feel the weight of this on them because oftentimes they don't talk about it or they don't have to or they don't get to. But there is a posture shift. They feel lighter. Like it, you feel that release in the atmosphere from them doing that and being able to put that in the recording. Like even if you don't necessarily hear it with words or, well, that's all you can do is hear, but you, you feel it. And I think that there's like a secondary effect of witnessing the healing or liberation of someone that rubs off on us. So as they're healing and releasing things, that's what I was doing. And that's right. what I hope that the people who are listening through the episodes are feeling. And then with evolution being one of my values, right? You hear throughout that process how their diagnosis reveals something to them that they needed to heal. And this led to some sort of a life evolution for them throughout their healing process. And then peace being my third value. By the end of it, you hear that these are all people who are at peace with what happened? Like, okay, this happened. It doesn't define me. I am going to make the conscious choice of defining myself. And that's the consistent message throughout here is that there's a healing process that needs to take place and that it's not the diagnosis itself, but it's actually something underneath that that really needs healing. But unfortunately, you know, it just took for something like an incurable SCI, like herpes, to be able to bring that underlying thing to the surface for a lot of people. So it started out as a suicide prevention resource, still is a suicide prevention resource, is a podcast that 
teaches people how to navigate stigma through the experiences of other people who are living with not only herpes, but we've expanded out to HPV, HIV, who've had experiences with other SCIs. Uh, There's episodes on there with mental health professionals that talk about different aspects of dealing with a diagnosis or navigating stigma or even other topics that have come up in terms of sex education, sexual health, sex positivity. This is a space where the healing is really designed for the people, or I'm sorry, the resources are tailored to the people who are navigating some form of stigma in the realm of SCIs in order to give them options to choose from and how they want to go about navigating it. So at this point, at the time of this release, there's 131 episodes and there's maybe a dozen bonus episodes that give people language to help disclose factual information about statistics and their diagnoses and how to go about protecting partners and how to just really become more of yourself than anything. But to take the focus away from the stigma and bring it internally so that you can heal. So there's no cure for herpes, but the the damage that's done to us after receiving a positive SCI diagnosis with our identity so interconnected with our sexuality, even though our sexuality, our sexual health has become quote unquote tainted or damaged, it, it has this effect of making us think that who we are or our identities are also broken or damaged. And now we're left with having to put the pieces of that back together. Courtney, so much has come out of this. And when I say out of this, out of what you've been talking about over the last couple of minutes and hope you will allow me to unpack some of it just for our listeners and for myself one in six people are carriers of hsv2 and so let's put that in perspective you walk into a room full of 10 people right potentially up to two people in a room are carriers of hsv2 right 80 percent of people who have hsv don't even know That's interesting because we think the stigma behind this, as you said, that is this dirty disease that you are promiscuous and that that you've done something wrong in the world that nobody wants to touch you. That is just not true. That is just just not true. And the interesting thing, because and you and I talked about this in the green room, is that because ironically of a skin rash, right, let's put it in its most parsimonious terms, right, because of a skin rash that is passed. Right. Sexually, we have stigmatized this as people who have HSV, HSV one or two are dirty people and they're not. And I have to tell a story about myself because I dehumanized someone, one of my good friends, after they they divulged their diagnosis to me and not being educated about HSV and herpes. Right. I dehumanized her. And I want to say right here on my show that I'm sorry. I am sorry for my behavior. I am sorry that how I treated you because we just don't know. And the stigma, because we talk about sex, right? We talk about, you and I talked about this because it's sex, because we have these views about sex and how things, how sexuality should be exhibited and what happens if you're sexual in nature, right? We're not talking because we're rushing in the world, Courtney, to find a vaccine for COVID because people are dying. Right. But we're mm-hmm. not really talking about HIV anymore. We're not talking about herpes. We're not we're not talking about herpes because people are so afraid. Like, oh, my God, she's got herpes because the running, as you said, the running jokes that go along with this. And we've got to stop. And the stigma actually causes so much pain. It's interesting that you said earlier 
is that the CDC recommends that people don't get tested for HSV-2 if they're not exhibiting any symptoms. And the reason for that mm -hmm. is because of the psychological ramifications that come with being diagnosed with herpes. That the psychological ramifications of being diagnosed with herpes are far, let me say this again, far greater than the physical consequences of being diagnosed with herpes. To give you some information that just parallels that, and I'll keep this brief, but I did a survey with listeners of the Something Positive for Positive People podcast, and it capped out at 110. But when the numbers came in, 98% of people who filled out this survey were experiencing depression after their diagnosis. About 50% had suicide ideation. 25% had gone into or participated in self-harming behaviors. And then 6% had actually attempted suicide. So to say that, you know, just to go along with the psychological ramifications of knowing what your diagnosis is or knowing that you are a carrier of the virus, that is where you can send a person. Say that last part again for me, Courtney. After 6% of the people who took the survey expressed that they attempted suicide at some point. And this, I just wanted to give you that piece of the mental aspect yeah. of what the negative effects of a positive diagnosis can be for a person. And it's, it's tremendous. It's tremendous because, I mean, you think about those statistics that you just said, people are hurting and hurting because we have stigmatized them. And I put myself in we because I have done that myself. And we have to get away. And that was, you know, that is why after hearing you on Let's Talk, bro, and I think about the work that you're doing with something positive for positive people is that you're giving light. As I said in the monologue, you're giving to light to people who, who are in the midst of darkness, who are the, in the midst of depression, who need to find something. And there are a tremendous amount of resources out there. But if you can get mired, Courtney, in all of the information that is out there by about HSV2 and HSV1, and there's a lot of misconstrued and misinformation out there, but knowing what you're doing with something positive for positive people is that you're giving concrete information right, to people who need hope and for those people who need to know exactly what the stigma does and how not to stigmatize because that's the upstream revolution, Courtney. That's the upstream revolution is that we want to dispel stigma. That's the problem, the stigma that goes along with it. My question to you, Courtney, is how do you, you know, as, you know, the spokesperson, the person who has taken on the charge to dispel the stigma, to give hope to people. How are you handling all of the weight that goes along with this? Oh, <laughs> all right. So you're a psychologist, so you can kind of uh, validate this for me or not. So I actually just started seeing a therapist two days ago, actually. And some in, in my own experience, I've interviewed therapists. I've talked to so many people who have done their own healing as well. And there's a lot of it that, for me, looking at some of the things that trigger me or upset me, I trace them back to my earliest experiences in childhood. So when you say, um, when you ask, how do I carry the weight of you know what's coming into me? I look back at my childhood and going back to what we said earlier, like there wasn't really much space for emotion and everything was very logical. It was, you need to do this and you need to get this done. Like, ain't no going back and forth about it. I don't care how you feel. This needs to be done. And so here I am now as a 31 year old adult 
And I am taking in a lot of different emotions. And I'll be honest with you, like, I feel like there's a seemingly infinite capacity for me to be able to take it in because as a kid, it just wasn't a place for it. So like, this is new to me. It's new. It's exciting. And like, no matter what the emotions are, it can be from the most devastating space of a person who wants to kill themselves. And I'm like, Oh, give me that. Like, I'll I'll take that from you. I want to know what you're feeling because there's this intensity to it. And I want to feel the intensity. And then it could just be something as simple as a thank you. Hey, you helped me. I appreciate it. And it's like, ah, that feels good. So it's kind of like, it's this weird, uh, I did an episode where I talked about, I titled it The Emotions Vampire. Because it's like, yeah, this gives me life to know that I can feel because I'm feeling through other people. And for a while, I struggled with understanding what my natural state of emotion was. Like if I'm just in a room calmly seated by myself and I'm quiet, it just seems like there's nothing there. And so when people do reach out or whenever something goes out, as far as like an interview that I've done with somebody and I know that this is going to be useful or helpful to people, you know, I mean, I don't know what kind of responses I'm going to get. But when I get the feedback that I get from people, it's it feels it feels let me just say that like it, it feels. And so I feel that there's like this just infinite. (laughs) I feel like I'm just this infinite space to just take on whatever I can. I mean, obviously, if it gets overwhelming in terms of people contacting me or me not being able to reply to someone, like I reply to everyone and I try to help them get sent on the right path to do whatever it is that they need to do in order to help themselves. But yeah, for me, I I think that the simple answer is just that I was built for this. (laughs) Uh, Say that again. Say that again, brother. I I would say that the simple answer is just that I was built for this. I mean, that that deprivation of it as a child, I guess, has led to what's the word? Like there's a over like there's a what? There's a word and I'm drawing a blank on, but like I'm overindulging in it now because of the deprivation of the emotional experiences as a kid and this is all new to me because uh even as i told you like finding out about self-help podcasts and reading and realizing oh emotions are actually really important how do i how do i find these like how do i where where do i get these from where am i at so like maybe even throughout this process you know there's my own healing of recalibrating whatever my neutral or natural emotional state is throughout the process. And I've only recently found out that I I think that it's important for me to feel connected. And I think that we are all connected through emotions. And so I don't have a problem with being that lightning rod or whatever it is of the emotion, because it's like, oh, okay, you know, this is what I was molded into throughout my life experience. So if I'm someone who can be there, I will be there. And I want to make it, you know, something that's efficient to where people can, you know, not only just come dump their shit on me and then leave, of course, but be able to get something out of it. So that depressurization from a person who might be experiencing suicide ideation, for them to be able to decompress enough to be able to, you know, be in a state where they can receive information or seek help or get support, whatever it may be. I think that that that's important, but I'd be dishonest here to say that I was solely doing this for them because maybe who knows, like if I did know what my natural state of emotion was from the get go, or if I didn't have this infinite capacity to take on the emotions of other people, I might not be in this position. I might be off doing something else. So 
who knows? But that's what that's kind of what I've linked everything to in terms of being able to handle this for myself. Yeah, brother. And if anybody sees Courtney Brain, he's got the shoulder for it, right? <laughs> you're a big brother. <laughs> you're you're definitely you're uh, definitely a big brother, and I appreciate right because when you think about for us here at What's a Revolution, we think about revolutionary people and. You know, as people are diagnosed with herpes or people are diagnosed with whatever STI that it is, they are looking for hope. They are looking for answers. They are looking for people because the perception is that you've lost your sexual privilege. We go through life with the sexual privilege until it's taken away from us. And then what happens? How do you then navigate the world from a stigmatized, marginalized place? And it's not you. It's the world. And now you have to navigate against the currents that are billowing against you. And you are, as I thought about in some of my writings, you are the ship. You are the corrector, Courtney. You are the lightning rod that stymies, right? Those who need to be taught, right? You are the beacon of hope for those who are trying to find their way, dear brother. And I am grateful for you. And that is why... That is why you are the revolutionary of the year, because you have put yourself out into the world, right, to shield others. And that's what we do. You find space and create space for those who haven't found a space. And I am grateful for you, dear brother. Let me ask you a couple more questions and then we will roll out. You know, if someone is diagnosed with herpes today, what are you telling them to do? First, let me humble myself a little bit. I want to <laughs> thank you for all that, you know, everything that you just said there. There are a ton of people who have come before me, I'm sure will come after me, who are here in this space as well. My role is just to, you know, make sure that, again, people just have the options. They see that these are other alternatives out there. But when you come to something positive for positive people, you're going to, like, essentially find a gateway into other aspects of healing. So to answer your question, you said, uh, what can people, what do people do when they're diagnosed? Is that what you said? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, you know, they, they, they've walked out of the doctor's office, they've opened their test results and they realize, oh, I, I just got diagnosed. What do I do now? Our responses to that are naturally going to be finger-based. So initially after you open up those test results and you see positive or that I whatever it is that you talk about that virus, whatever it is that you thought about people who may have that virus, that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with your own beliefs according to the stigma about someone else that you never met before. Now this has become a real person and this real person has become me. So let's, let's just take it from there. So now I'm this person that I thought was gonna was gross, this person that I never want to hook up with, this person that you know, I'd be like, ew, they're gonna give me herpes. Now I've become that person. And now you have to face that. So once you're able to face your internal beliefs and thoughts about the kind of person who you never saw yourself as being, you can begin to challenge that belief with your own behavior. So you can look at what you've done and be like, huh, well, I'm not the kind of person who dot, dot, dot. And that is a very important statement. I am the kind of person who dot, dot, dot. And then you fill in the blank. So when you say people with herpes are, and you respond to that 
you finish the sentence according to what you believe, according to the stigma, you start to challenge it. And there's this inner conflict that goes on between who I think I am and who I actually am, right? And as we begin to figure that out, like you begin to also learn more about the virus. You begin to learn more about your body. You've got to listen to your body now. You've got to manage your stress. You've got to listen to your thoughts and be mindful of how you are being in the world and how you're being to yourself. Because now you've got this radar internally that lets you know when something's off in your body. It lets you know when you're stressed because bam, you get an outbreak. So when you have herpes, first off, you don't always have herpes. There are outbreaks and they go away, but the virus is going to continue to live in your nervous system. So it'll live if it's genital in the base of the spine, if it's oral in the top of the spinal cord. Some I forget the name of it. But understanding those kinds of things, and then you begin to really assess the relationships around you because are you around people that you feel comfortable disclosing to and divulging this piece of information? As we mentioned, there's a lot of mental ramifications that come with positive diagnosis, right? So if you are depressed, are you able to tell your friends, your support system, your family that you're depressed? If you can't, it's important to potentially seek out a therapist, right? And if you don't have access to a therapist, then there's all kinds of support groups and resources out there that you can find. The most challenging part is finding consistent, accurate information. And there, there is no cure for herpes. There's absolutely no cure for herpes. At this point in time, there's no vaccine. There's no cure. All there are are different ways that you can go about managing the virus, okay? The healing itself comes really in how you choose to deal with it. So if you go, the, way, the best way to deal with it is to heal with it. So your emotional state, whatever it is you got going on around you, with the people around you, your communities that you're part of, you hate your job, you know, this is a really good time because you don't want outbreaks and you're going to do everything you can to avoid outbreaks. And what I found first off was to move regularly, get movement, manage your stress, and take care of your nutrition. So I had my experiences with my body and your experiences with your body are going to be completely different. Some people don't eat peanut butter. Some people immediately jump to taking medications and that's okay. But it's important for you to understand your body and respond to what your body needs initially. So those, that was a lot, but if I were to give it a top three, it would be to utilize your support system if you need it. Make sure to take care of your body and mind. And then the third thing that you want to do is just really be able to empower yourself with information, with the right information. So choose a resource that's credible and stick to that. Don't go on continuing to look for more validation of it because the more you look, the more you'll see that there are all these inconsistencies across the board of different information. So you'll see confusing language. There's no consistent language for herpes at all. If you're someone who's diagnosed with HIV, understand that it is important for you to get treated, get tested, get treated, and get on the medication. We're at a time where people are living, I just saw a recent statistic that people with HIV who are on their medicine, who are undetectable, therefore cannot transmit the virus, are living eight years longer than someone who's living with diabetes. So if that doesn't tell you how far we've come as far as, you know, treating SCIs goes, then, wow. you know, it, that, that's, that's big, that's huge. So all SCIs are curable or manageable. Nothing at this point is going to kill you. No STD at this point can kill you if you do not seek treatment. I'm sorry, if you seek treatment 
or the cure for the curable STI. Right. Brother, I appreciate that information. And for those of us out here listening and for the revolutionaries who are listening, this brother just dropped some gems, like, and thinking through that because you never know. You never know where you are in your life where you may test positive and how are you going to react. You may walk into a doctor's office, ask for a yearly STD check and come out with a diagnosis that you had no thought that it was going to occur. And that is why Courtney is doing such revolutionary work. And I want to drive people to his nonprofit and his podcast, Something Positive for Positive People, because it gives hope. It gives tips and strategies. Like, what did you say? You got to he- to deal with it. You got to heal with it. And Courtney gives us a way to heal with it. Brother, I appreciate you, right? I know our time is... Yeah, you said that, brother. Yeah, you know, I, brother, I always think in every show, Courtney, somebody's going to drop a little pearl that I'm like, mm, that's it, right? You better keep listening, folks, because that pearl comes up like to heal, to deal with it, you got to heal with it, right? And the healing is in your mind and it's the stigma that happens, right? And that stigma can be powerful. But if you can overcome that stigma and move on and have a support, what I heard is have a support system, right? To, to let you know Brother, sister, you're okay. And if you want to know more about what happens, right? How do I disclose or how do I date with an STI, right? An uncurable STI. Go listen to Courtney's podcast. We're not going to get into it today because that's that's not our flow. That's Courtney's flow. And I don't want to steal any thunder what this brother's got going on. So make sure, revolutionaries, that you go out and listen to something positive for positive people to hear all of, all of his guests who are dropping pearls. I've been listening for a couple of weeks now just so I could get to know Courtney and learn, right? And learn. That's what we all want to do. We want to make sure that we learn and that we are the best version of ourselves. You've been listening to the What's a Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corpro, and I've had the pleasure to interview our revolutionary of the year, Courtney Brame, CEO of Something Positive for Positive People. Courtney, thank you for being with me tonight. Thank you for sharing your story, your journey, and the great work that you're doing in the world, brother. How can other, other than your show, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, thank you. So uh, if you want to connect with me, I'm on social media at H on my chest, Facebook. It's just Courtney Brain. There's a Facebook page, something positive for positive people where I really just share the podcast episodes and people come on there and <laughs> look up the information and you can connect with different communities in your area if you want. So there's a bunch of different support groups. There's social groups of people who are living with various SCIs that I'd be able to get you in contact with if you're open to that kind of support. And then also we've recently, so I've been Something Positive for Positive People has been a nonprofit for a year now, and we just opened up being able to support people in connecting with the therapist to help them deal with their diagnosis. So that's another thing that we're able to offer. And yeah, so it's just a spot for support. And on Instagram, I'm most active at H on my chest. It looks like high in my chest. And it's funny because you, you keep using the word hope. And I'm like, damn, is that what the H stands for? But I know for a fact that when I started and called myself H on my chest, it was just herpes. Right. <laughs> but I, I think I like hope more. I can start hope telling people chest. that. Yeah, the H stands for hope. <laughs> but yeah, so that's where I'm at. Man, I appreciate it, brother. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep speaking loudly to the world, dear brother. Keep speaking loudly to the world because the masses are following you, brother. Take care of yourself. And for my revolutionaries, 
please, as I said earlier in the show, this is your opportunity, right? Like our revolutionary of the year, he has taken challenge and moved it into innovation and opportunity. What are you doing in this time of COVID? How are you innovating yourself? How are you transforming the, your life and the lives of others? We will talk to you soon, revolutionaries. Take care and always be able to answer the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's your revolution? Peace, everyone.